0: I, um, I've just been so stirred. I really don't feel like I'm going to preach this morning. I feel like I'm going to share um, with my friends and with my brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, with my family. And um, I, I ask that you give me a little bit of time to do that um, and really honor that time because it's, it's not for me. It's for the Lord. And I pray that in your hearts you didn't come here for yourselves, but that you came for Him. And uh, the church really is a command center for war. Um, And and we need to be reminded of that often, that we're not here to survive. Uh, You didn't come here today because you are struggling and you just need a little bit of encouragement and that extra dose of feel-good presence so that you can get through the next week. Um, If you did, that's okay, but you won't leave with that mindset. Um, And I I say that in faith, knowing that I can't do that in your heart, but that I trust the Holy Spirit to do that work in you. Um, And I want to just start off by saying this, that you will not be transformed by what I have to say today. But you will be transformed by what you do with it. And so I share what I share today in absolute humility and hunger for myself, uh, that, that what I share today would be real in my life, in my heart. Because there's a a yearning and a hunger in the heart of God. He's searching. His eyes are going to and fro. And he's searching for the laid down lovers. Not the gifted ones. Not the impressive ones. He's searching for the ones that hunger and thirst for him. And that's why, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last two weeks we've been talking about his presence and when we talk about his presence, we're not just talking about um, the, the goosebumps in the room when we have worship or when somebody prays, but we're talking about the face of God. Um, the word presence means face. And so when you have a revelation of that, you begin to realize that we can't use that word flippantly, it's not just a word for a good vibe. When we talk about his presence in the room, what we're talking about is the manifestation of his face against us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about how we are transformed. Like we, we look as in a mirror and we're transformed from glory to glory in his image and likeness. As in a mirror, I, I really believe that verse is, is such a, a core verse for worship because that's what we do is we come and we look into the face of the Father. Like a mirror, and what 's beautiful is we look into him and we see the beauty and and the majesty of who he is, but what 's so beautiful is that he's looking at you and seeing the same thing. Can I turn this sorry, my Bible's going to go okay. I feel like there's an adjustment that the Lord wants to do um, in our hearts and uh, uh I'm just going to share basically the, the last two, three months of what the Lord's been doing in my heart. And um, I, there's a lot of it that's just for me. But I really believe that the Lord is, is shaping, molding, and marking uh, 24-7 church for what's to come. And I want to encourage you with this, that um, the, the ground under your feet has changed it's shifted, right? There's a beautiful preach. I'd encourage you to listen to it, Nathan Morris from the Jesus 19 conference, he speaks about holy ground, and he said this, and it really resonated with me, he said, the ground is shifted under your feet, but what's so important is that the ground is shifted under your feet, but you can still be thinking like you were thinking in 2019, with all your struggles, all your problems, and not even be aware of the breakthrough that you've come into, not even be aware of the new season that you've stepped into, because you're so caught up with thinking about all the struggles and things that you've been facing over the last year or or multiple years, and now you've come into 2020 and and maybe the situations haven't changed, but the landscape of the kingdom has. And so you have a choice how you are gonna see your life in 2020, and I wanna encourage you with this. Um, Things are getting really intense around us. Um, The world is getting more and more worldly uh, and it's, it's, they don't really seem to care how it affects anybody. So now we've got agendas and opinions and things that are coming out, and now they're being legalized and they're becoming law. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that is just so debauched and messed up and sick. And it's just getting more and more intense, more and more in your face. You can't even watch any series without something creeping in, Right any movie even the music everything you, i don't know it doesn't it doesn't take a, a genius to see that things are intensifying what what is a caution to my heart is that the church needs to be intensifying as well but at the moment what i see is the church actually going into a lull, falling asleep a little bit, um, and and kind of just without even knowing it, allowing these things, these little hooks to come into our lives. And what it does is it produces a selfish mentality within the church. It produces a self-centered, entitled mentality where we come thinking, what is God gonna do for me in the midst of my situation? Because actually it's really tough. I'm struggling. It's difficult out there. And I thought God was gonna be there for me. I thought he'd never leave me or forsake me. I thought that he was gonna be in my life to help me out, make things easier in the is, I'm just not seeing God in my life. And that's the mentality of a lot of Christians today. And so you come to church and then you find yourself easily frustrated, critical, analytical about other people and their roles and and leadership in the church and how we do things and where we meet and what's this and what's that. And now you actually feel like you have a right to have an opinion about all those things. And suddenly you look at this, I'm not just talking about us, but I'm talking globally, you can look at a church that's weak. And it's not the bride that Jesus is coming back for. And I've been so undone just thinking about his face when he returns and sees this beautiful, radiant bride that's on fire for him. And that is the one thing that I've chosen to give my life to, is that when he comes back, I want to see his face. I want to see the look in his eyes when he beholds a bride that looks like him. And so what I want to share with you today is essentially just a perspective shift for your life individually, for our lives as a community, and as we go out and do the things that God's called us to do, that it is so important that we have this foundation of revelation in our lives, okay? The church doesn't exist for you. The church exists for the Lord. The church exists as first and foremost the bride of Christ. Here's what you need to understand. The church is not a vehicle for your ministry. The church is not a vehicle for your agenda, for what you think you have to give. It's none of that. The highest priority of the church is to minister to the heart of God. Because when God relates to the ecclesia, to the church, He doesn't relate to them as a body. He doesn't relate to them as a house or a building. He relates to us as a bride. We function as a body, we're designed like a house, we're joined together like a house or a building, a dwelling place, but He doesn't relate to us according to those two things. He relates to us according to a bride. And the moment that the church tries to relate to the Father as a body or as a household structure, we become functional in the way that we do things, but there is no depth of intimacy or revelation. And so if the church does not return to its first love, Revelations. if we don't return to our first love, if our posture and the, the position of our lives is not first and foremost individually in our families, marriages with our kids, as a church here locally, as churches in the city and in the nations, if our posture is not to first and foremost be the bride of Christ, then we will never see the fullness of Jesus formed in us. That's why I'm, I'm often grieved when believers struggle to come into encounter and intimacy with the Lord. I'm often grieved when I watch believers that cannot worship because there's so much in your head that isn't meant to be there. There's so much obstacles, things that you've put in the way that God doesn't really care about. And I just find like the heart of God is to meet you face to face every moment of every day. And then we feel disconnected, not because he's far from us, but because we've put obstacles in between us and God. We've allowed things to matter more that don't matter most. Yo, I feel like there's words for people, but maybe we'll do that at the end. Um, I've been just... Going through the New Testament again and again and again. It started with Acts. I just studied the book of Acts over and over and over. Then I was going through the Gospels. Then I, now I'm stuck in Romans, and I've been going through the letters of Paul as well. Just basically the New Testament. Um, I was going through it in the order that I've been studying, and I thought that's pretty much the New Testament. Um, but here's here's what's incredible. I, I got really frustrated with Paul. Um, really annoyed because I kept reading his letters to the church and he just didn't seem to give us any insight into how we should function or be run. He just, he just wouldn't answer my questions around how we should be doing church. It's just not there. You can look as hard as you wanna look, he just doesn't talk about it. But again and again and again and again, he's writing about how the church uh, should act, who we are, who our character is, our nature in Jesus, who we're called to be the type of characters and people and leaders and believers that we're called to be. And again and again and again, he just keeps hitting these heart issues. And then he talks about qualification for leaders and he mentions nothing about gifting other than that you should be able to at least communicate the word or the gospel to somebody. Doesn't mention any other gifting. All he just talks about is character. And what's incredible is that throughout the gospels when Jesus is teaching, not one time did he ever address the believers to build the church. Not one time. Then I read Paul, and not one time does Paul ask the believers to build the church. But again and again and again, and I I almost want to challenge you to go and research this. Research how many times the kingdom of God is preached and spoken of in both Jesus and in both Paul. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Here's the problem when I say that, a lot of people who actually have an anti church spirit love what I just said. Because what it does is it gives you an excuse not to commit. But here's the most incredible thing is that in Ephesians 4, it talks about the fivefold ministry is there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? It's the kingdom. Right? The work of the ministry is the kingdom. So, the fivefold is there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's so incredible is then you begin to read from there that actually the fruit of the saints doing the work of the ministry is that the body builds itself up in love. And when I say build itself up in love, what that looks like is the fullness of the stature of Jesus unity in the faith. Every part functioning properly. Here's the most interesting thing. When we've read these scriptures in the past, we've actually used that, and I include myself, every part functioning properly. We talk about that meaning you need something to do here on the Sunday gathering. If you're not functioning on the Sunday gathering, are you even playing your part? Are you doing your your part properly? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of God. When every saint is being equipped to do the works of the ministry, when all of us are doing that, we are building each other up in love. Here's the most incredible thing. The more that we build each other up in love because we're doing the works of the ministry, the more we're becoming like Jesus together. Here's the most incredible thing about the nature of Jesus is that it's in his nature. It's in his nature to serve. It's in his nature to serve. So you, you won't have a people that are about the kingdom of God, but not about the church. It's impossible. You cannot be about the kingdom and not lay your life down for something that he's building, not you. He's building it through you, but it's not your, it's not your focus. Your focus is the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? I mean, you know, obviously it's real simple. It's the rule and reign of God. And uh, it's not a kingdom of, of houses or buildings or infrastructure or things like that. It's a kingdom of hearts. So God is after people. So God's not actually after comfort, not after great buildings, not after, uh, you know, what it looks like. He's after hearts. And what's so beautiful is that the outworking of that will look different in in so many different contexts. If you go to Iran, you can't do this. So you meet in homes. But if you go to America, you can build these huge buildings or whatever. And so it's different contexts that are reaching different people. And we don't have the right to decide which context is, or which uh, method is right or wrong. The point is, is the kingdom of God being preached and lived in that community? Are people coming to know Jesus? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so there's a, there is a shift because... I find it very incredible in, uh, in Matthew 10, I think it is, um, when Jesus sends them out and he, he sends them out and he says, Say, preach this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he gives them their sermon, which is literally one sentence. <laughs> he goes, as you go out, preach this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't know about you, but after I've said that sentence, I would be kind of awkward and not sure what to do after that. Um, you know, stand up at the pulpit. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. But what's amazing is the scripture right after it. He says, go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. The message of the gospel was never, never meant to be preached apart from the demonstration of the gospel. See, Jess and I, she's my, my bouncing board. I, I externally process everything with her. And last night, I'm like getting intense, and I'm sharing all of this stuff. I'm like, what about this and that? And she asks the best questions. If you need somebody to just really like make sure your study is thorough, she asks the best questions. But what was so incredible is the more that we went into this, the more that it forces us to come to a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to expose our insecurities so that He can deal with them. Because what if I was to tell you that the will of God for your life is simply the kingdom of God? What if the will of God for your life is so simple, so easy, it's, it's just right in front of you, but you have so overcomplicated the gospel, so edified your gifting above the revelation of Jesus Christ that you've made it more about you than you have about Him When you make it about Jesus and it's about his kingdom, then I know that actually, in fact, I'll say it in the context of this. I think it was last week or the week before, my dad said a statement that smashed me in the gut and I haven't been able to let go of it. He said, the more you fall in love with this world, the less you long for his coming. Do you understand what those words mean? To long for his coming. See, only a bride would long for the coming of the bridegroom so if i'm if i'm the bride and i'm longing for the return of jesus then from now until the day that i see his beautiful face i have one mission one mandate one reason to live and it's his kingdom it's his kingdom and so you know what that means and Please know, I'm sharing this out of a real daily experience right now. That's why it's so tender to me. When this becomes the core of your life, when the gospel has conquered you, when the gospel has been established in your life and has shaped and defined the direction of your life, the direction of your thinking, it doesn't matter whether you get it right or wrong. You know where you're going. When this happens, it doesn't matter what you do oh, brother, I want to be so passionate and radical for Jesus, but you know, hey, I actually I'm a I sell ice, or I'm a I'm a salesman, or a rep, whatever, and I just feel like I need to quit this to do that. See, all of that thinking is, it's so internally. Focused and emphasized. We are are so after the most comfortable and easy way for me to do what I think God's called me to do, rather than laying down my life again and again and again, yielding to the hand of God and saying, Father, your will be done. What do you want to do in my life today? If I'm a salesman, then I'm going into that place. Yes, I might not enjoy necessarily what I'm doing, but that's not why I'm here anyway. And and I when I was chatting to Jess, all these things were coming up, and I thought, you know. If I was to say to you if, you, if Jesus was to walk past your house, knock on your door and say to you, I want you to drop everything, and come and follow me. But you're the owner of a business or a really successful businessman. You have a nice house. Your kids go to a private school. You've got two, three cars. Life is good, comfortable. And Jesus says, I want you to drop everything and come and follow me. I promise you majority of Christians today would go, ah, False prophet, that's not God, because God loves me. God wants me to be able to provide for my family. God wants me not to put my wife under financial pressure or to make sure that my kids go to a good school, get a good education. And you know what? Hey, I still tired, and even so on top of that, I'm a blessing to others. Why would God ask me to forsake everything like that? Nah, doesn't make sense. But that's the very thing Jesus did with his disciples. What's so incredible in Mark 5, is it Mark 5 or Luke 5? Luke 5, I think when Jesus calls the disciples, there's this incredible encounter on the boats where the abundance of God is manifest to them. Jesus says, throw the nets on the other side. Lord, we've been toiling all night, but at your word, throw it, boom, full nets. Put it in the, the nets are breaking. They put it in the boat. The boat starts sinking. They're calling the partners. Their nets are breaking. Two boats are sinking now. Peter falls at the feet of Jesus and goes, oh Lord, I'm a sinful man. Away from me. Like, you have no idea. This this goodness is, I don't understand this, right? And it's so beautiful. Jesus says, no longer are you going to be fishing for fish. Now you're going to be a fisher of men. And then they come to the shore and they leave everything. It says it. They left everything. They even left the abundance, the provision that God gave them. Because sometimes when things shift in your heart, you begin to follow Jesus. When he calls you, even your provision changes. And you'll struggle to walk forward in what God's called you to walk in in a new season if you're still trusting the old season's provision. And so I often think about that. Jesus comes walking up to that successful wealthy business guy and says, leave everything and come follow me. Because you do realize Peter was married, had a, oh yeah, grooving. Peter Peter was married his mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. I mean, it was really, he's got this family and it's awesome. And Jesus knows he has a family. Jesus has actually been, he stayed in his home for a night. Like Jesus understands. And yet he still calls him to follow. And for three years, Peter actually has to leave his house, his wife and his family to follow Jesus. So what I'm trying to say today is that I think the gospel is far more than you think it is. I think what the gospel is in your life and how it changes and establishes, uh, is established in your life, it is a different way of living. It is not, see, here's the, here's the tension. We want to live this radical life for Jesus, but we also are tied up by things of this world, systems and things that we've invested in that we, we, we just can't let go of. And so what happens is the Christian finds themselves stuck in between the two. And so you become stagnant with a longing to be this, but never fully seeing the fruit of that because you're still tied and connected to these things of the world. And Jesus again and again and again is asking you to come and follow him. Now, when he calls you to follow him, there's no formula to what that looks like other than obedience. So I'm not saying, if Jesus is saying, follow you, you go and sell everything. What I am saying is, are you in a place of surrender to be obedient to the Lord at every call, at every unction of the Holy Spirit, at every whisper, as he leads you? Are we positioned in that place? Or actually, is it all about us? And so the kingdom of God is this incredible message of reconciliation between man and God, the rule and reign of Jesus, which actually means his lordship, and it starts in your own heart. The kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21, I think it is. The kingdom of God is within you. It starts there. You're, if you See, the kingdom is not a realm that you access from time to time. I don't know if this is making sense. The kingdom of God is not a realm that you access from time to time. It's not something that we're trying to reach into and bring that here. We are in it. The kingdom is in you and you're in the kingdom. Why? Because the lordship of Jesus is manifest in your life. That's what it means to be a true believer. If it's not a reality in your life, I don't want to go as far as to say you're not saved. But I would like to ask you to to make sure that you go and understand salvation. Because salvation is hardly about what you've been saved from. But very much about what you've been saved into majority of Christians come to church to tick the box to make sure that they feel comfortable about the fact that they've been saved from something, but they have no idea what that means for their life. And so what they do is they profess Jesus on a Sunday, but live like unbelieving converts from Monday to to Saturday. Sure, Lord, I, I just ask that you help us. Um, I find it incredible when I read about this man called Paul who just lays his life down. And what really moves me is that he didn't even have an agenda of ministry. Like this man wasn't even concerned about being in full-time ministry. He just was laying his life down for people. And he would go into a region and if the church was still being established and, and couldn't afford him or whatever, it was like he just... He just laid down his life. He'd worked for two years and ministered to his own needs with his own hands and to the ones around him. And I was saying to Jess, it's so incredible that he would work not to establish himself, just so that he could be in the region. Like, he saw his job as a way to provide for him to be there so that he could minister to these people. He didn't see his job as something that was of value and importance to him to make sure that he's established, successful, and actually means something in the world. That's why he could make tents. I just make tents. I'll actually, I'll labor hard every day, sweating, making tents. Why? Because I'm not doing it for any kind of value or identity. It doesn't, I can, I can put it down and pick it up at any time. But the reality is I'm doing it because I know that these people, are. Right, this, I'm here for them. I'm here to see the kingdom of God advanced and established in this region. We need to become, as the church, a force of the kingdom of God that is so incredibly powerful that everywhere that we go, we are bringing the borders of the kingdom of God into new territories. What that means is new hearts, new lives, manifestations of His love on the earth. That we're actually bringing the borders of heaven into new regions. Jesus prays, he teaches us to pray, and he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Our father, number one, connection, intimacy, our father. It's the first thing Jesus brings for the church. Hallowed be your name. Our job, our first job as the church is to minister to the name of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus. We are ministering to, to God, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is literally in that little section there, that is, that's our lives, Number one, our Father, connection. Number two, ministering, blessing his name. Hallowed be your name. And number three, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Matthew chapter 16, you can turn there if you want to. I hope you have a a Bible or a phone or something. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13. I'm reading from the Amplified, so there's a few extra words. Verse 13. It says, now when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, I love Peter. I resonate with that guy. He replies, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's called revelation. And I say to you that you are Peter, which means Petros, little stone. And on this rock, Petra, big stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven this is a seriously profound piece of scripture that we have become so familiar with but i feel like we've missed a few keys here Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? He's throwing something out here. There's an invitation for something. He's inviting them into something. And they respond with a whole bunch of answers. Wrong, 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 wrong. Suddenly, Peter has divine revelation from the Father. Not from man, not from anybody else's opinion. He has divine revelation from the Father. And he says, you are the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And uh, it's so incredible that he goes on to say, and on, uh, and on this rock I will build my church. On this rock. On what rock? A lot of people have taught that it's Peter, but we know that it's not Peter. On this rock. What is this rock? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you, Petros, little stone, you're Peter. But on this rock, Petra, big stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he talks about giving him the keys of the kingdom, that whatever they bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever they loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Here's the the connection. There's two keys to the kingdom, revelation and faith. This is important. The church is built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. But revelation without faith is an encounter without transformation. And faith without revelation has no substance because Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. How do you have hope in something that you don't have revelation about? How do you have evidence of something that is unseen that you know nothing about? In order to have hope, You need revelation. If I'm to say to you, Jesus is going to return, those of you that have a a revelation of His returning will have hope in the fact that He's coming. If you don't have revelation in the fact that He's coming back, you don't have hope for it. Are you catching what I'm saying? So revelation without faith is an encounter without transformation. And I think a lot of people find themselves in this place and they, they become so spiritual, their language becomes spiritual, they be they, they see things, they, there's just a lot of spiritual stuff going on, but their lives do not represent Jesus. And it puts a bad taste in people's mouths. And it's not even because the person has you know, a heart to hurt or offend. The person actually has a sincere heart. They love Jesus. They're having these amazing revelations, but they haven't activated what they've encountered by faith. And so there's no fruit or transformation in their life. And then you've got other people that are like faithed up, but they have no revelation. And so what they do is they plug faith into situations and and circumstances like a tool Uh, hoping for some sort of outcome, but not really being stable and grounded in something. And so they call it faith, but actually they're rocked to and fro by every situation and circumstance because there's no substance to their faith. Because what we need is a revelation of Jesus Christ because that's what the church is going to be built on. That's what the bride is built on, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But what we need is faith to know that we've been given the authority of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, so that we can... What we bind here on the earth will have already been bound in heaven. What we loose here on the earth will have already been loosed on the heaven. What does that mean? It means that because we have revelation, we know what is bound and loosed in heaven. So now we have the faith to do the same here on the earth, knowing that we are replicating what we've seen and what we have revelation on. (laughs) This is the mandate of the church. That God's actually called you to be somebody who lives in divine revelation of Jesus Christ. That what you see in heaven, you can now by faith release on the earth. That what you bind and what you loose on the earth is literally just you replicating what you know is already in heaven. Because what we're about is seeing the the culture of the kingdom of heaven established on the earth. See, it's not the culture of the church that people are attracted to. It's the culture of the kingdom. Because you see, the the church has always been um, the vehicle for the kingdom of God. It's never been the point for the believer. So for Jesus, he's building this beautiful bride that he's coming back for, right? So we know that Jesus is building his church. So in no way am I taking value away from who we are as the bride. But I think what's happened to the church is we've become so internally focused that even now, we come up with programs, outreaches. We, we need to be doing more stuff in the church. We need to be doing more stuff. So let's do a whole bunch of stuff. Why? Because you actually want to feel better about yourself. Thank you, Gav, you're a legend. You actually want to feel better about yourself because it feels like, actually, I, I'm, I'm doing stuff now. No, no, hey, I, I go and I... I've, do a soup kitchen once a month in this place or whatever. And I do this and I do that. And, and maybe you're doing this stuff. But what I want to ask you is, what are you doing it for? Does it actually make you feel better about who you are as a believer? Or are you actually about the kingdom of God on the earth? Because if you are, it doesn't just look like soup kitchens and an outreach here and a hospital visit there and this. And take nothing away from those things. I love it. But here's the problem, is that you're actually only an evangelist once every six weeks. You're actually only uh, prepared to put yourself out there for the kingdom of God when somebody else has told you to do it. But you feel good because I've ticked that box and I can say, hey, I do soup kitchens. The reality is it's more about how you feel about doing those things than it is about the people that you're reaching. Please hear my heart. Take nothing away from doing these things. But I I really feel like the Lord is is shifting and changing the heart of the bride because we need to understand that this is not a a Jesus incorporated experience, temporary thing that you tag onto your life. And I'm gonna read something to you just now that I wanna end with that will challenge you to the core. But this is not, the gospel is not a tag on. The gospel is not something that we, we add to what we're already doing or that we, we cover everything with. The gospel is a brand new life, a brand new way of living. And I promise you this, it is when Damien got saved, the first week we call it the death week because the first week was hell. Because the turmoil that he felt inside knowing that he had to let go of all these things that he was involved in was horrific. I remember sitting having coffee and he said to me, dude, I feel like I'm going to die. What is happening? Like, I know that God loves me. I know that God's, you know, but I actually feel like I'm going to die. Do you know that that's actually what the gospel does to you? We've made it so easy for people to come into the church, come into the, oh, just put your hand up, say a prayer, and you got saved. The reality is you don't even know Jesus. You've been given a whole bunch of knowledge and information. You've gone to your, your Bible schools and your, your theology things whatever. And you've got, you've got more information about Jesus than anyone else in the church. But you've never seen his face. Because when you see his face, like Paul... When you have these encounters with God, when you seek Him, when you resolve in your heart that there is nothing else for me but Him. And if it takes me years, I will pursue and I will seek and I will go after Him until I get all that He has given me because I know that He's a good God, that He's a faithful God, that He's in love with me, and that He is constantly pouring His heart and His love and His presence out over my life. I need Him more than I need to breathe. That's the gospel the gospel is that actually I was something and it's completely dead. It's complete, it is totally irrelevant to my existence. Totally irrelevant. And now I've come into a new life. A life that isn't about whether I'm okay uh, circumstantially or not. It's a life about the the righteousness of God being demonstrated and revealed in my life that others would taste of His goodness. Because the reality is I'm not taking my house. I'm not taking my cars. I'm not taking my private education or my uh, university degree or any of that stuff to heaven. I'm not taking it. But one thing I am taking is my intimacy with him and the lives of others that I've reached for the kingdom. And when I stand before him, I want to look into his eyes. I want to look into his eyes and see the nations. I want to look into his eyes and see every life that was touched by the kingdom. Every life that has come into his lordship and into his beauty. I want to see the multitudes in his eyes as he gazes upon generation after generation after generation that are now found at the feet of the one. Mercy, God. Mercy on your church, God. Oh, we need him. We need him. I'll be very honest with you, I get so frustrated with this, these kind of meetings, only because I go, I know, I know like I know, like I know that we're about to to tap into something where the beauty of Jesus is revealed, where we will not be able to sit in our seats anymore. I promise you, if you will align your heart with what's happening in heaven, church as we know it is about to explode and change. It's going to change. And I'll tell you why. Because you you probably find we won't need chairs very long because people will walk in and fall on their face and behold Jesus. And and, and God himself will be preaching the word. And we'll actually, the Moravians, this is what's so incredible about the Moravians. Do you know that the Moravians are responsible for one of the biggest mission movements in history other than from the book of Acts? Over 3,000 missionaries were sent from one little village, a group of people that never grew larger than 300 at one time. I don't know about you, that freaks my mind out. A a community of believers that lived together, ate together, fellowship together, worshiped together, prayed together 24-7, 365, for 125 years nonstop. A community of people that never grew more than 300 at one time, but are responsible for over 3,000 missionaries sent to the nations. I don't know about you, that sounds like the kingdom. And I, I want to challenge you and say, you're not a missionary because you go to Thailand or Turkey or all these different places. You're a missionary because you're a sent one into the dominion of darkness to bring the kingdom of the sun. Colossians 1, I think it's 18. that You've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Ooh. you can go to Matthew chapter 13 and just keep it there. That's where we're gonna end. How am I doing for time? What is the time? Five minutes. Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> it doesn't matter, absolutely. Amen. I like that. I'll tell you why I like that and I, I know it can be just a comment but um, I believe that it's, That's where we're going. Because I tell you this, when the presence of the Lord is tangible in the room, you won't want to go anywhere. Like I said, the presence is not a flippant word. When His face is in the room, you won't want to go anywhere. You'll put everything on hold to behold Him. My heart is aching for the bride because this is what we're called to. We're not called to to have meetings for you to hear something that makes you feel a little bit better to carry on. But the reality is you're broken in a mess and don't even... Uh, broken people are broken because they're looking at themselves and not looking at Jesus Christ. Yes. And I'm talking as somebody who's come from this journey. There is only freedom in the revelation of Jesus Christ. in one, 1 Peter... Chapter 1, also, I think maybe from verse 14 or somewhere there, where he talks about so prepare your minds for action, be sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, fully. All of your hope, set it on the revelation of Jesus Christ because when you do that, grace comes and grace divinely enables you to live what he's called you to live. And that's my prayer for the church globally and in our city and across the nations. I'm praying that right now, the greatest movement of his presence that we've ever seen before would sweep across the churches so that we would set our hope fully on the grace that's brought to us at the revelation of Jesus because we need his grace. We need his grace to do what he's called us to do. And I'm, I'm asking you today to, to let this message smash you in the gut. Let it absolutely ruin you for anything else. I'm, I'm saying, I believe that, that there is an army being mobilized that God is raising up right now. And I know you've heard those words before. I almost wish that I could speak another language so that I could preach the gospel in a different tongue. Because the reality is, and I'm, I'm going to learn it. I'm learning Turkish. Not No jokes. But, but what, I, what I'm saying is, You need to let this gospel absolutely obliterate everything in you other than Jesus Christ. Let it it ruin you. If If you're just about feeling great, then you'll never know the Holy Spirit is comforter. You need to let the gospel put things to death in you. where you There is almost anguish in your heart, but it's a righteous anguish because you're saying, God, I just want you. I just want your presence. I just want your nature. I want nothing else but you known in my life, known by me and in me and through me. And when I position my life in that place, what I'm doing is I'm letting the truth smash me again and again and again. And then what's so beautiful is the Holy Spirit comes as the comforter and he begins to nurture you and he begins to train you up and and guide you and lead you into the stature of Jesus, the fullness of his nature and his personality because it's not something that you can do. It's only something that the Holy Spirit can do, but all he's asking for is the position and posture of your life in a place of humility where you let him rule and reign because lordship is not a temporary thing. Lordship is not a seasonal thing or a momentary thing. Lordship is a life that has, has died to something and has come under a new reign, a new authority, a new mindset, a new way of living where actually every decision that you make isn't yours to make. Can you imagine these believers infiltrating every sphere of influence? Because I do do believe that God's called businessmen to go right up to the high places. Like uh, Randy Clark speaks of, go to the high, there's darkness in the high places. We need businessmen in the high places, Christians in the high places. And to get there, it just so happens that you actually need to be quite successful. And that's okay. I'm not against success, but I'm so for obedience, Because if God gives you millions today and asks for it back tomorrow, would you give it to him? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life laid down. So Matthew chapter 13, this is my challenge to you. We're gonna read the parable of the sower and the explanation of it. Listen to this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting beside the Sea of Galilee But such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there positioning himself as a teacher while the whole crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables saying, listen carefully. Are you listening? (laughs) Because just so you know, he's speaking again, same thing through the word. The word is an encounter for you. It's actually not just something to read. when I look at this Bible, I look at it like a, like a curtain in the middle of my Bible, like I'm going to get sucked into something because there's an encounter for you here. So when he says, listen carefully, I go, "Whoop! pause. Okay. Let's get my heart right. Let's quieten my soul. I need to be listening carefully because I'm about to have an encounter. So let's go. Listen carefully. A sower went out to sow seed in his field. And as he sowed, Some seed fell beside the road between the fields and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And at once they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and because they had no roots, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and thorns came up and choked them out. Other seed fell on good soil and yielded grain, some a 100 times as much, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed my words. Turn over the page, if it is a page for you, um, to verse 18. This is the explanation. So, before you read this, when I was prepping this, I felt like the Lord said that there's people in this room that are in different aspects of this parable. And I, I want to ask you to let this really take root in your heart to let this really challenge you that if you find yourself and you'll know because Holy Spirit will illuminate and reveal if you find yourself in one of these other categories other than good soil let, it, let the gospel ruin you. Listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, kingdom and does not understand and grasp it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy. Yet he has no substantial root in himself, but is only temporary. And when pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles and falls away. The Amplified says, abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. Did you just hear that? I think a lot of people can fall into that category where you hear the word and you receive it at once with joy, but you have no substantial root in yourself. What does that mean? You you don't have the intimacy with God to sustain what's been revealed and, and deposited into your heart. Like I said at the beginning of this sermon, I said, what I say today is not gonna transform you. What you do with it will. Very good. If you don't have the root system of intimacy and relationship, time with God, then it shoots up and it dies real quick withers away. Okay? Um, and, the, and the one on whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries and distractions of the world and the deceitfulness... My Amplified says the superficial pleasures and delight of riches choke the word and it yields no fruit. This is not people that don't want the word. This description there is somebody who receives the word but it's among thorns. And so while the word is trying to grow in their lives, so are the thorns. And it's the superficial cares and delights and desires of this world and your riches and the empire, your self-empire that you might be building for yourself. All of these things begin to grow and suddenly they begin to choke the word. They choke it. You feel suffocated. You feel like as much as I long and desire for this thing, I'm not seeing the fruit in my life. And it yields no fruit. It doesn't actually even say that it dies. It just says that it yields no fruit. So you find yourself in this place where you kind of look like this plant that's supposed to be yielding the fruit that you received the seed of, but there's all these thorns and things around you, and it's choking the word, and you're yielding no fruit. I've been there. You feel so frustrated, and, so, and what happens is because you don't know how to break out of that thing because you're not prepared to let go of the thorns, Did you hear what I said? It's not something that you break out of. It's something that you let go of. But you find yourself in this place where you're like, oh man, I'm trapped again between things of the world, this radical life that I want to live for Jesus. I kind of look like the plant, but there's no fruit being demonstrated or revealed in my life and I just feel stuck. And the more that I stay in that place, the more that I actually begin to blame others for my state because it's actually too painful to keep looking at myself. So I don't want to actually acknowledge the fact that I'm not prepared to lay it all down for Jesus. So what I'd rather do is blame the church, blame the leaders, blame the shepherd, blame the pastor, blame the teaching. I don't feel loved in this church. I don't feel people even notice me or care about me. Um, I'm not getting what I need here. Verse 23, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it and grasps it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. Some a 100 times, some 60, and some 30. My desire is to be a, a, a place of good soil. That the word of the kingdom that is sown into my life will find the root system of intimacy and relationship with God necessary to produce the fruit of the kingdom. Because I know that that is the one thing that I exist for. Everything, and hear me, everything is secondary to that. Everything. Everything. My wife knows that. My family know that. Secondary to this one thing. And you go, oh, I absolutely adore my wife more than anything else, but I'm a lover of Jesus before I'm a lover of anything else. And so is she. She challenges me on that probably more than anyone else. (laughs) Ooh. So essentially what I'm, what I'm trying to share today is that there, we're, in a, we're in a time, we're in a season, we're in an era um, of the kingdom where the Lord is on the move and He's about to do things that we have never even dreamed of. We've been talking about revival for years and years and years. I even think that word is so um, weak in comparison to what God's actually going to do. Uh, even now, stadiums, multiple stadiums and cities are being filled. In uh, in Fe- it is Feb- um, in February in Argentina, one city, three stadiums filled, one city, and the whole movement. It's called the Send. The whole movement is to mobilise people actually to go out into the nations, into the schools and the universities and the workplaces. God's doing it. And what's amazing is that's just in Argentina. The stuff that's coming out of Brazil, the stuff that's coming out of the Middle East, the stuff that's coming out of China, even out of Australia, the the fires have mobilized the church in ways that just the country has never even seen before. And I really believe that South Africa's time is now. And I know that we've been saying that. But I think that the Lord has been waiting for the bride in South Africa to be unified in one simple thing, and that's the pursuit of the face of Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, everything changes, everything. And it's, it's happening, it's stirring. I, I've been chatting to some uh, people, leaders and, and worship leaders from churches in the city, and the language is all around, we can do more if we do it together. And there's been so many walls and divisions for so long, but the Lord is breaking them down. And I've learned the lesson not to try and do something in my own season and timing when the Lord is actually working on hearts because He knows the heart of man. And so we've come into a season now where we're gonna see unity in the body like never before. Don't let your pride, your arrogance and your agenda separate you from what God's about to do. Some of you need to repent. Some of you need to repent and there's others of you that have been in a place of repentance with the Lord. And I heard this word um, with Nathan Morris again. I love this. You've been in a place of repentance, but it's like the Lord's called you to the burning bush, that encounter, and he says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You can't come into these encounters. You can't come into this new season with your shoes on that carry the dust of your past. So you find yourself in a place where you're repenting all the time and then you, the guilt and shame and condemnation comes because you're like, I keep repenting and nothing's changing. I'm, there must be something wrong with me. Obviously, I'm not actually repenting. No, your heart is actually sincere and after God, but you're, you're doing things with the same mindset as the past instead of letting Jesus change the way that you think. I was gonna preach on the, the divine consciousness and the, the renewing of the mind, but the Lord had a different plan. But the divine consciousness, the, renew, the renewing of the mind is vital. And this is what's so important is that you don't do it. We've been taught for years and years and years, I've heard thousands of teachings on on how to renew the mind, the battlefield of the mind, and the disciplines that you put in place to change your thinking patterns and whatever. You try as hard as you want. You're a fallen man without Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the divine consciousness. You need the the mind of Christ established in your heart, which you cannot get other than through the Holy Spirit. So what it comes through is, is, is a pursuit of His presence. The more that you're in His presence, the more that you take on the likeness of Jesus. So I was saying, um, so some of you need to take off your shoes for this new season. Take off the shoes that you've been wearing for years and years and years because they just keep they just keep reminding you of the dust from your past. So it's really that's profound. Yeah, so there's just an invitation for you today, um, individually but also as a community and um, yeah. Lord, I just thank you that I, I've just tried to be obedient. I've just tried to say what you asked me to say. And Lord, I, I, I know that I can't change people's hearts. I know that, that there can, could be people in this room that hear what I say today and it goes in one ear and out the other or over their heads. And Lord, I, I ask for your mercy and your grace on all of us. And I include myself, that what you have revealed and shared to us this morning, that it would ruin us for the best thing in the world, and that's Jesus, that you would so change our hearts and our lives and our mindsets to know you in a deeper and greater measure, to walk with you in greater intimacy than ever before, to see your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives. We yield to you, Father. We surrender to you. We know that we cannot do this on our own. But what I'm so excited about is this beautiful reality, God, that it is your joy to give your Holy Spirit. It is your great joy as a father to give us your very spirit and nature and likeness. And so I ask for a revelation of the Holy Ghost. I ask for a revelation of the Spirit of Christ in us. And I thank you, Lord, that you would lead us into intimacy and relationship with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So we access right now the realms of your glory because we're in the kingdom. Lord, and I know, I'm just so grateful that it's not even based on me right now, what you wanna do, because you just do it anyway. So we open up our hearts to you, Lord. We open up our lives to you, Lord. We come transparent and open and honest before you and we say, God, come, come, Lord, I don't even wanna put emphasis on the things that I know need to be removed in my life, but what I do ask is that you would have all of me, that you would possess me and fill me. You know the very depths of my heart that I didn't even know need to be touched, and you come into those places and you reside. Lord, you reside so that I can abide. You reside so that I can abide. Holy Spirit, you reside in me so that I can abide in you. And so I thank you, Jesus, for that reality. Father, I ask for the revelation of Jesus Christ in every believer in this room right now. Can you stand with me? Let's just just lean in a little bit here. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit of God. Come right now and bless and touch and redeem and transform and renew in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we want you, Lord. We want you more than anything. We want you more than anything, Lord. We want you more than anything, Lord. Yeah. I just feel right now in the Spirit that the Lord's changing the defaults in some of us because the moment we stood up, what I heard in my Spirit was the first thing some of you saw was your guilt. The first thing some of you saw was the condemnation that you've been carrying for so long. The first thing some of you saw was this thing that you've believed, this lie that you're not worthy, that you haven't quite cut it, that you haven't met the standard. Let the gospel shatter that this morning. Oh, the goodness of God, let Him come and totally ruin you and reveal actually that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been given everything that you need to be radiantly His, to shine on the earth. And that actually... Just as I was saying, when you behold him as in a mirror, you look at him and you see the radiance of his face, the beauty of his presence, but he looks at you and he sees the exact same thing. Nobody can take that away from you. No external experience can take away the internal reality of Jesus in you. <laughs> no external experience can take away the reality of Christ in you wow I just have a a word for for Bridget. Um, You can just receive as I say it, but I just feel like uh, the ground has shifted under your feet and you've come into a time of destiny and there's a prophetic anointing on your life that's been caged by circumstances, situations. I feel like there's been other voices that have spoken louder in your life than the one that's been rising up within you but I see it coming like a roar, like a surge, like a flood inside of you. There's a prophetic anointing on your life to begin to speak. And I see the mysteries of God being revealed to you. I see the voice of God being so loud in your being and he's called you to be a mouthpiece for him. And there's a creative expression in the way that you're gonna reveal and communicate his word and his voice. And I just see that there's deep healing, <laughs> there's deep healing, I just, I feel the heart of God for you. And I hear him say, I've watched your life. I've watched your life. I've seen your struggles. I've seen the, the, the wrestling and the turmoil and the thoughts. And still I see a woman after my heart. Still I see a heart ablaze. Still I see somebody holding the fire inside of him and saying, God, fan this flame into a raging fire. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you go right into the depths of her being, that you go through the doors, through the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall. The wall.